Turn, if you would, in your Bible to the book of Luke one more time this month, and again to chapter number 2. We will be there again this morning, and then after the new year we will go back to our study through the book of John. But we have a fourth and final song this morning. If you have not been with us this month, we have been walking through what we have called or deemed the nativity songs. They are songs, poems, declarations, really, that are made in the Bible around the time of Jesus' birth. There are four in particular that are given to us in the Gospel of Luke. You have Mary's song when she finds out she is going to bear the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And she immediately begins to praise and says, I thank God my Savior. And then we have Zacharias, who's going to be the father of John the Baptist, a miracle in the age of he and his wife uh, conceiving and bearing a son. And he would be the forerunner of the one that would save the world. And Zacharias says, I bless, blessed be God, my Savior, for he has remembered me, he has redeemed me, he has come for us, he has visited us, and he praises the Lord for that. Last week we had probably the more famous of the four, and the shortest of the four, and actually the one that is not actually ever called a song per se, but it is a song of our hearts, and the angels were the ones that proclaimed that, and they said, that there was uh, glory from coming from uh, man toward God, all glory be to God, and then peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And then today we have our final uh, song that is going to be sung, a declaration or a poem of sorts uh, that is written and said by one particular man by the name of Simeon that comes across Jesus, not born in a manger, he does not see him in a manger, uh, he does not see him the night of the majestic uh, call of the angels. He really does not even see him in his uh, true uh, first moments of his birth here on this earth. He is a little while into Jesus' life before he comes across. And uh, so we can kind of picture Simeon. He holds uh, the baby Christ, but not uh, the infant just born baby. He kind of pictured a little bit bigger, when they can move a little bit more on their own, and they're not swaddled all the time, and kind of get that picture in your mind. That is the baby that Jesus is holding, some six or seven uh, weeks old by the time that they get Jesus to the temple, and so we are going to look at that uh, this morning, and uh, where we're going to go with it, we're going to take a little bit of background from it, why were Mary and Joseph there? What is it picture that they were at the temple when this man finds and holds Jesus and sings or say, says this uh, declaration of praise? Why were they there? And then we're going to look at the overall theme of it. What is its message to us? And it's just simply really one word. And then what is our response to that uh, song in message or to that truth in praise? And so if you would look at verse number 21 of Luke chapter number 2. Jesus has been born, the shepherds have returned, and no, the wise men have not been there just yet uh, from what we expect. Look, if you would, at verse number 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. So they, on that day, they would officially make that his name, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, in the law, 
when there was the birth of a child and the dedication of that child. The Old Testament law of Moses, particularly throughout uh, the book of Leviticus, we'll be there and look at part of that in just a moment. Uh, there would be a time of what they called uh, purification or a, a time of healing for uh, the mother and the child after birth. And uh, it was actually different for uh, uh, boy children and for girl children. The timing was different for uh, boys. This would have been about 40 days or so after Jesus has been born. And now they bring him to the temple. And uh, in verse 23, it says uh, why they did that. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord or dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I'd like you to turn, keep your marker there in Luke 2. We'll be right back there in a moment. I want you to look at Leviticus um, in chapter number 12, because I'd like for you to see this with your eyes this morning. It's a, it, it doesn't have a significant bearing on our spiritual lives today, but it's a beautiful picture uh, in a way of the humility of Christ. We're going to see that in just a moment. But I want you to imagine for a moment, Mary and Joseph have had this baby. It, it was a miraculous birth. It was announced by supernatural beings in the angels, right? And it was uh, announced by them. It was sung of them. Uh, Mary has spent time with her uh, cousin Elizabeth and then come back and they have had to make this long travel. Can you believe that we've had this decree? Not only am I going to have to bear this child, the son of God, we can't even have him at home. Can you imagine the, the conversations that they had back and forth with each other on the way to Bethlehem? Why is this happening? Why are we going to have this baby born away from home? It's a, obviously a special baby, the son of God. Why is this going to happen? And then they have the baby Jesus and as they're sitting there. I don't know if there was a, a knock on the edge of the entryway to the stable where they were when all of a sudden shepherds come in saying that they have been told by angels. And of course, Mary and Joseph should have reason to believe them. They've both been visited by angels to this point. And so the shepherds leave and can you imagine them just kind of being like, who else, who else is going to come? Uh, who else knows about this? We didn't know anyone else knew about these things. And as often happens, sometimes at least, with the first child in any family, I wonder if there was that moment for Mary and Joseph where there was sort of that, now what moment? Uh, we take them home from the hospital and, um, you know, feed, change diapers, sleep. Uh, when do we start teaching them math? And, uh, you know, Joseph's like, when do I buy him his own hammer if he's going to be a carpenter? And uh, what, when do I give him the tools? And, you know, probably not to that extent, but they're kind of wondering, what's next? And in their discussion along the line, they think, well, we're already in Bethlehem, and uh, so that's not far from Jerusalem. And the law tells us that we are to go consecrate and give this child to the Lord. And Joseph, being uh, the logical mind that he is, says, let's go to Jerusalem while we're here, and we're going to dedicate this child. And so that's what they're going to do. And when they go, there was a law. And if you would look in Leviticus 12, verse number six, it says, and when the days of her purifying are fulfilled, this is for a new mother, for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. So a brand new, a baby lamb and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest. So it's interesting to me that as Jesus enters the world and they're going to give a sacrifice and it says there a sin offering, 
they call for a lamb. It says, And who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood? This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two, turtle dove, two turtles or two young pigeons or turtle doves there, uh, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. And I want you to think as you go back to Luke 2, the fact that as the Lamb of God entered into the world, even his parents were too poor to provide a lamb at his birth. It's a picture in a way that there was no lamb needed for Christ. Mary brought these two turtle doves, and you notice in that law, it does not say that they go to offer sin for the baby, but for her. And so it's another picture that though Mary was bearing the Son of God, she was a sinner herself, and she was in need of a lamb. And she brought the Lamb of God to the temple to offer a sacrifice for her own sin, Yet one day, the baby which she brought to the temple would make that sacrifice no longer needed. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is going to do in salvation. And I think it's a beautiful introduction to the song that Simeon's about to sing for us or say for us. Look, if you would, in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him. And it revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so, at some point, Simeon gets a message from the Holy Spirit that says, The Messiah will be born, and you will see him. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said. So imagine the scene for a moment. Uh, you take your new baby into church, okay? And remember, they don't. This not temple is not a church like ours where people know each other. Uh, this would be more comparative to taking your baby into Walmart and an older and an older gentleman along the way, maybe the greeter at the door, with his big yellow vest and smile, says, "Can I hold your baby?" And then starts proclaiming all of these things that he knows about your child. Imagine kind of being taken back by that a little bit. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were. But look at the message that he says in verse number 29. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother understandably, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce thy, through thy own soul also. So he doesn't leave out the sadness of the death of the sacrifice that the Messiah would have to bear. He, in a way, unlike many in the New Testament, understood what was to come says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word and this sense of this song this morning. Lord, we uh, come to You this morning, and we ask You to teach us what we do not know, to give us what we do not have, to make us what we are not, 
through the will of Christ our Savior. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. When we use the word salvation, often we use it in a very broad term, and it can mean a number of different things. Uh, somebody brings you a bottle of water, uh, and you're out working in the yard or something. Oh, oh you saved me from thirst, or you, oh, salvation to drink this water, or whatever it may be. You saved me from uh, the expense of whatever it may be when somebody helps you find a deal, or somebody calls and says, hey, 295 is shut down, there's an accident, it's blocked for miles, go the other way, and we would say, oh, you saved me from all that traffic. I was thinking back in 2009, I believe it was, and I remember a um, magazine that came out, and you remember the airplane uh, flight 1549 that had to do an emergency landing on the Hudson River, and uh, there was a lot of talk about the captain of that, and I remember when he was kind of, he was put on Time magazine, a number of different magazines, and uh, one of them just said the word Savior above it, and I know what they were saying or what they were implying, that he saved many people from their death. And we use the word salvation and Savior sometimes in a broader sense, but the Bible uses the word salvation in a very specific sense. And we find that here, and it is the message, it is the one word, it is the theme of Simeon's song. Notice, if you would, in verse 29 again, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation." That is what Simeon's heart is resonating as he sings of his Savior. Think of all these songs now to this point. Mary, when she sings of Jesus, says, My Savior is coming. When Zacharias sings of him, he said, He has visited and redeemed us. When the angels sing, they say, Glory to God in the highest, peace to men. He has made peace with man. And what was the alternate for that was the judgment and the destruction of man. So they were being saved by peace through Christ. And now Simeon, so all of these messages come with this thought of salvation. It is an expression of the good news. What is salvation to us? It is an expression of the good news. The good news of what God did for us through Christ to save us from sin, from the devil, and from death. Think about Simeon as he holds this baby, and they were thinking, what could he mean? That is not something you would normally sing or say to a little child. This will be my salvation. In fact, you think of it the other way, that the adult is going to protect or guide or direct or shelter the child from harm and evil. But Simeon, knowing that this was the Messiah, that this was the Son of God, knowing in a way that he is holding the very presence of God here on this earth, the image of the invisible God, born here, manifest for us, he is holding this child, knowing one day he will save me. And think about all the times, notice it says that Simeon was a uh, devout man. Uh, He was in and out of the temple. Obviously, he was in the temple on that particular day. And he had seen, I am sure, thousands and thousands of sacrifices for thousands of people and for tens of thousands of their sins. And now he is holding this little baby saying, this little child will rid them all of their sin. (laughs) He will get rid of all the blood that has been spilt that has run through the temple and run into the streets. 
all of the sadness and sorrow from the taking of life, all of the numbness, really, that they had now developed toward the killing of these animals for this purpose, all of the sin and the sorrow that they had in their heart toward this, all of that will be wiped away, not by the lamb, not by these turtle doves, not by the sacrifices they bring for him, but by the sacrifice of this child himself. Simeon would not know, of course, the means by which Christ would die, though there was prophecy of some of it. He didn't know uh, the description that we now have today. But can you imagine holding a child, an innocent baby, and the gravity and the weight of that thought that this child, sin is so awful and sin is so bad that one day this little baby will suffer. Some of you have children that are that age or uh, grandchildren that age and you could never you never want them to experience harm you never want them to go through suffering you never want to see them have pain I don't hold my child and think I wonder if he'll ever have a badly broken arm one day like I, I don't want to think that thought about him I don't think I wonder if he'll ever experience deep sorrow in his life but Simeon looks at this child and he he knows what's coming because he says it to Mary he says a sword is going to pierce your side and your soul as well as it will pierce the side of this child and he looks at this baby and says this young innocent child will save the world and Jesus grew of course as a child and as an adolescent and into a man and he remained perfect unlike we do as humans yet Simeon says this is the song of salvation this is a promised salvation this is a prepared salvation that God has made it was the theme of his song but better than that we can say this is the theme of the Bible the theme of God's Word the theme of the Old Testament for years Simeon had seen pictures of this salvation and I just want you to for a moment imagine the joy that had to be packed into Simeon's heart and his brain and it is the joy that should be packed into our heart and into our mind this morning as we think of the Word of God when you think back as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they stand disappointed now clothed because of the embarrassment of the nakedness and their sin and the conscience now that had been seared by the guilt of sin and they stand before God clothed by this animal that God had sacrificed for them in a way and they see the gates in a way to this Eden to this place that God had intended and prepared for them and the sorrow and the panic in their heart as they head into now a fierce and dark and hard world that they had brought on themselves in sin yet God in that moment promises one day one will come and he will make this all right. Imagine the sorrow that they had. It's a picture of salvation, that one, that lamb that God had provided for them. You think of Noah as the earth grew in its sin and its darkness, yet God, judging the earth, provided mercy through this ark and this way to escape. It's a picture of salvation. The lamb that God provided for Abraham as he lifted the knife to end and plunge it into the soul and to the heart of his own son. And yet the joy that Abraham experienced when he looks up and he sees God has provided, I don't have to harm, there won't be this sorrow today. That's a picture of salvation. The lamb that God provided then for his people when they were in Egypt being held by those Egyptians, being forced into bondage and slavery, into lives of submission. And yet they could escape 
the promise that God had made to destroy or to kill the firstborn of each family, and yet that little lamb that so many sacrificed on that night, and the sigh of relief that the parents had when they woke up the next morning to find their children still alive, that is the picture of salvation. When they crossed the Red Sea in safety, and look behind, seeing a massive army of a voracious Pharaoh that is coming after them with vengeance for the death of his son, and a, and a large body of water, a tumultuous sea in front of them, and no hope in sight, and it blows open in the darkest moment of their life, and they walk across in escape. That is a picture of salvation. The scarlet thread of Rahab dangling through her window as she is waiting for the destruction of her city, yet in her faith, by God's grace, she is spared and then made to be part of this family, this, this children of God, this people of Israel. We know from uh, studying Ruth the last few weeks, eventually she becomes part of the lineage of God, marries into a family, bears a child who bears a child, who then brings about the Savior of the world. It is a picture of salvation. Gideon, with his little army of 300, being saved by the angel and by the act of God. We've been studying recently, Ruth being redeemed by Boaz. It's a picture of salvation. Jonah, as he is taken into the belly of the whale, yet God in His mercy gives a second chance. It is a picture of salvation. And though we could probably go on for scores and scores more, we will stop there this morning and say they were pictures of salvation. And Simeon, thinking those maybe in his mind, looks and sees not a picture anymore. Not a portrait and not an illustration and not an imperfect example of salvation. He sees salvation itself in the form of this beautiful Son of God. The story of salvation is the story of God doing for us what we inherently are unable to do for ourselves. To be saved from sin and to be saved from the consequences and the guilt and the shame of my sin. The story of the Bible is not one in where people were saved with their own work and a wee bit of help from God. The story of the Bible is not a story of people who get their lives straight and God pushes them past the threshold into salvation. It's not a story of a God who sets in line a, a bit of rules for people and as long as they follow, He will save them. The Bi story of the Bible is a story of wretched, awful sinners that inherited this sinful world from ancestor to ancestor, parent to parent, and we are all sinful and stand before God in need of this word, salvation. In need of a Savior. By grace alone, through faith alone. I want to talk for just a moment. That was introduction, and the sermon will be much shorter. I want us to think about salvation for a moment. This salvation that Simeon tells us. And I want to use it, my grandmother being an English teacher for as long as she was, she'll be proud of my prepositions. Although when I typed this out, it auto-corrected to propositions, and so I had to change it back. We're going to talk about these things very quickly about salvation. For, from, by, and through. Who is salvation for? Who is salvation from? What is salvation by? And what is salvation through? Salvation, first of all, is for, notice if you would, Simeon gives us that in his song. Look at verse number 31. 
or verse 30, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, verse 31, which has prepared before the face of all people. It's a glorious message this morning as we enter this Christmas week that Christmas is not to be celebrated by a group of people. It's not for a language or a tongue or a race or a creed or a culture. It is for all people. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Well, who is saved? Those that have sinned. Well, who has sinned? All have sinned. And salvation is for all people. Notice he says it is a light for the Gentiles. Look at, look at uh, verse number 32. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He says it's not just for Israel as he holds this in the temple for the children of God in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. He says this light is for all men and it is for all people. And this good news that Simeon sings and teaches and praises is unlike any other good news that mankind has ever been given before. To this point, there was salvation for certain people in a way. To this point, you could trust in the God Jehovah. You could follow, but it was difficult to try to understand how God had chosen this people. And then there was people spread throughout the world and the world was in darkness and we don't understand how this is going to work. And now Simeon says, this good news is for everyone. Imagine as he says that to a group of people being held back by the empire of Rome. He says, God will save all men. There's no group of people that we can go to this morning and say, oh, this isn't good news for you. This good news is not for your kind. It's not for your nationality. It's not for your uh, place in society. It's not for people of your income or your status or your popularity. It's for all people. There's not a person that you meet today or this week or in your lifetime that salvation is not for. And that is is a glorious message. Because if we're going to say we are part of all people, we should be excited that everyone else is part of that too. Salvation is for all people. Salvation is from sin. If you would, look back maybe one page to Luke chapter 1. Look at verse number 77. We'll remind ourselves of the song that Zacharias sung just a few uh, months before this. It says... To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Whether we realize it or not this morning, we are sinful, sinful people. If you're a Christian this morning, it means at some point in your life you have realized that you are a sin, sinner. You have realized that you cannot save yourself. You have realized that you are in need of a Savior. But often we struggle with this, don't we? We need a Savior from our sin. And we don't need Him just once. We need Him every day. And as Simeon looks to this child and looks to his light, he's not just happy that this child has come and now everything's going to be fixed. He knows that there is more coming. That's why he speaks to Mary the way that he does. And yes, we need saved from our sins once for all, but we need saved from our sin each and every day. The temptation of our sin, the aspects of our sin, the guilt and shame of our sin, the rut that we get in in our sin. We need the gospel each and every day. Isaiah 42 says, that Jesus was going to come and open the eyes that were blind and free those that were imprisoned, release those from the dungeons of sin. And Simeon, again, had seen thousands of sacrifices for thousands of sins. And he looks at this Messiah and says, this is the one 
who will save them all. He will fix and work all sins for all men. It is a good thing that He can save all sin because all men are sinners. And I want you to think for a moment this morning, are you grateful for the sin, from the salvation that has saved you from sin? Sometimes we don't think of the gravity of our sin because our sins are not as bad as others. We can go on a website, look on our phone, go on social media, watch TV, and quickly feel better about ourselves. Quickly dumb down and shoot ourselves with a little bit of numbness toward our own sinful mind and life and not realize how wicked we really are. And sometimes it creates this sense of ingratitude toward my salvation because I don't realize how deeply God has saved me, what He has saved me from. We are idolaters at our base sense. You say, well, I've never had an idol. I've never had these things. I've never bowed down and worshipped before a particular carved being. I've never done any of those things. But very simply, sometimes an idol can be the thing that we trust to satisfy us, the thing that we trust to give us meaning, the thing that we trust to give us hope. And many times we place that in things other than our Savior Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote in his, uh, in his autobiography called Surprised by Joy. He was claimed to be, he believed some in God, and then he claimed to be an atheist. He had put off completely in his heart that God existed, and then slowly God pulled him back to himself. And he wrote this of the time that he uh, really kind of came to understand his need for salvation through sin. He said, For the first time I examined myself with a serious practical purpose and there, I found, there what I found appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, and a Harlem of hatreds. I needed a Savior. And this morning, when we celebrate Christmas, as much as we may not want to think of the negatives, and we want to think of Christ in a manger, and we want to think of the songs that they sung, Christmas should make us think of the sins that we have sinned. And it should make me understand the deep sorrow that Christ experienced for me. Yet He brought salvation. And yet He saved me. And that leads us to our next point. For, from, and now salvation. What is salvation by? It is by God's grace. And His grace alone. We know, of course, that Ephesians 2 verse 8 says it is by grace alone that we are saved. Not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is only by God's grace. Even when you look to the Old Testament and you see, well, they followed the law and they did those things. No one followed the law. No one obeyed it all. They all failed. They all, the law was not there to perfect or to save them. The law was there to show them their need for their Savior. And so these experiences and these things that we read in the Old Testament of failing and then being saved from that failure, it's not because they obeyed the law and it's not because they did things right. It's because they looked toward a coming Messiah and a gift of God that they did not deserve in themselves. They looked toward grace. And by that grace, they found redemption through the coming sacrifice of Christ. Grace means that God mercifully provides for instruction and for redemption. Unless someone took the initiative, we had this standoff with God. We were at enmity. We were enemies with God. And there was no peace flag that we could throw up 
there was no gesture of goodwill that would force him to save us. It had to be his action toward us. And it is here interesting that it says that he just sort of placed a Savior in the world. It wasn't because Israel prayed really hard and they said enough prayers and then he sent a Savior. It wasn't that he talked enough. It wasn't that the world got to a certain place. It wasn't that anyone did anything that made God send Jesus to the world. He just said, it is time and by mercy and grace, I'll extend salvation to these people. And Simeon understands that as he sings, he is grateful because God has sent his salvation. And then the final thing, for, from, by, and then salvation is through faith. It doesn't just say that all will be saved automatically or that all trust in Christ or that all repent of their sins. You know, this is a part that gets sticky sometimes for people to say, well, I'm fine that you're a Christian, but why do you have to try to make other people Christians? Why do you have to try to get more Christians? Aren't there enough Christians? Can't you just leave it there? But God's word tells us something different, that his news, that his good story, his gospel is unlike anything that anyone else has. And the story of redemption is not to stop. He hasn't filled his coffers with the treasures of believers, as it will teach us in Revelation. It is never full. He extends it over and over and over by grace, but through faith. What is it that Simeon did as he held this Christ? Did he do anything while singing this story and say, I'm not going to be saved because I've gotten to hold this Messiah? No, I'm going to be saved because I'm nice to this Messiah. I'm going to be saved because I'm going to anoint this Messiah. No, he just says the Messiah is enough and I trust in him. And through faith alone, he receives this salvation. I want us to finish with this this evening or this morning. We're born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus, Christ from the dead. All of our lives should be reoriented around the wonder of what God has done. Simeon totally changed what he was doing in that moment, didn't he? And I'm sure those around it said Mary and Joseph marveled. And I wonder if the temple around him didn't reorient in a way to look at what is this spectacle? What is going on? There was a reaction to this salvation. And what was it? We can find it very simply in how he starts this praise and we'll be done. Look at what it says in verse 28. Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. You're going to find two words there that tell what his reaction was. The first one is the word he uses for Lord. Original word, it's despotito. Sounds a lot like our word despot. And you think, well, that's not a good word. Dictator, why would he call him a dictator? Well, it shows submission. He says, Lord, Master, I submit to this. I submit to you. Seeing the salvation caused submission of Simeon's heart. And then notice the second thing. He says, now let a servant depart in peace. The second thing it caused is satisfaction. And this morning, as we enter into our Christmas week, what should the gospel of Christ do in our lives? What should the Christmas story say? How should these songs resonate in our hearts? It should say, first, I submit. Because God is good and I will give my life to do whatever and wherever and however He wants in me. 
And I'll submit because His way is best. Because He sent this Savior at a perfect time, in a perfect place, in a perfect way, to die a perfect death for my imperfect life and for my sins. And because of what He has done and extended for me, I won't try to be saved and then live for myself. I will be saved and submit to Him. Because if His perfect way could provide salvation, His perfect way can rule and reign in my life. And He says, not only will it rule in my life, I'll be satisfied with whatever it is. As he held that baby, we wouldn't have thought anything strange if Simeon said, Lord, now let me live to see him become a teenager. Lord, let me see him become a man. Lord, let me see him do miracles. Lord, let me see him change the world and set up a kingdom on this earth. He says, Lord, I'm good because your promise is true and I'm satisfied in you and you alone. And this Christmas as we celebrate the coming of our Savior, May we submit to him like Simeon and may we be satisfied not in the trappings of this life and not in the memories that we make, not in the good moments that we experience, but in the Savior that he has sent for us and in the Christ that he has given for us from our sin by grace 